I'm a clay sculptor and I'm passionate and curious about all things creative. This podcast is about conversations with all kinds of artists, the how and the why they create. I'll be talking to painters, poets, potters, novelists, actors, musicians, clothing designers, leather makers, jewelers, and uh, there also may be some wine involved. Okay, I'd like to welcome my very first guest for Creatives Uncorked, and his name is Gordon White. He happens to be sitting beside me because he is the only person in my bubble, and he happens to also be my husband. So, welcome, Gordon. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. (laughs) And he's also a wonderful actor, entertainer, and physical comedian, and clown. You can read my handwriting. That's good. (laughs) That's right. Now, we're going to share a a bottle of liquidity Pinot Noir today. So, I'm just going to... There's... That's for you. Merci beaucoup. This one's for me. And Liquidity is one of my favorite wineries, um, Okanagan Falls, and I really love it, not only for the wine, but also for the uh, art collection that they have. When you go in, they've got fantastic uh, art in the gardens, and then when you go uh, in the doors, they also have a really great collection to look at while you're sipping the wine and sampling their food. They've got a lovely restaurant. Anyways, so back to you. Back to you, my very first guest. And so this podcast is all about creative people, and I happen to live with a very creative person. And you've made your living for over 40 years now as a a funny guy. Mainly, yes. Mainly as a funny guy. Yes. Yeah. And where did you, did you come upon this naturally? Were you a funny kid? I think so. And I just always, as a kid, uh, really appreciated funny things. I just found Trying to be funny or being funny was fun. Right. So so as a kid, like all kids like to horse around and play. Mm-hmm. And in, in our generation, when we were growing up, there's no such thing as the internet, of course. So you made your own fun, right? I mean, you had three channels on the TV, but mm-hmm. but past that. So what kind of things did you got, did you do for fun as a little kid? Like what did what did you do when your mom kicked you outside? Mm, wow. Um, well, one of our favorite tricks was uh, making a dummy out of uh, old clothes and stuffed newspaper. Yeah. And then we would stick the legs out from underneath a parked car. Uh-huh. And uh, when people walked by or cars drove by, one of us would ride over the legs with our bicycle. Really? <laughs> yeah. Or we would take the dummy up into a tree. Um one of my friends in the backyard, which overlooked the street, um, they had a very tall tree, and we'd climb up about 20 feet with this dummy. Oh, my gosh. And when um, cars would drive by below, we would <laughs> push the dummy out of the tree. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. In front of the cars. Well, not in front, just on oh. the grass. Oh, I see. But uh, a lot of times the car, <laughs> the car would stop and uh, check out the body, well, unless they realized that the body, the head came detached, because... <laughs> It was just a balloon or something. <laughs> okay, so yeah. so that's how you made fun. So that that yeah, that, must that was have one just, way. Yeah. <clears throat> we also used to do um, mime st- uh, ropes. Really? Yeah, we would do them across the roadway. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, really? I what do you mean? We did a lot of things on the side of the road. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Never thought of hitchhiking. Well. 
<laughs> I mean, mom and dad always said, just go play in the traffic. Yeah. Oh. Uh, now I know what that's all about. Yeah. So anyway, even as a five or six year old, um, we were pretty good at mime technique, obviously. Yeah. Because these mime ropes across <laughs> the street would actually stop the cars. Oh, so there's one of you on either side of the street. Yeah. You'd pretend to pull a rope taut mm-hmm. as a car was coming. Yeah. And, and the then... car would either stop or speed up. But <laughs> once in a while they would stop. So our technique was obviously good. It's a great idea. Yeah. You know, just for having some fun. You have no props or anything. No, oh. Totally. We should try that, you know. We'll be in our bubble. We'll just be pulling ropes across the streets. <laughs> See how long it takes to get arrested. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're when you were little, you were a practical joker. Mm, yeah. Like, did you do anything to neighbors or parents or? Mm, lots of stuff to my mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, we used to hang her under things in the front window of the house. What do you mean, Mm. under things? Well, you know, lingerie, lady things, brassiers and panties and nylons. Yeah, we'd hang those up in the front window. She she didn't find it (laughs) nearly as funny as we did. Uh, There's a warped sense of humor right there. Okay. Yeah, she was just a little... uh, What would she do? Oh, she would just tear the stuff down and (laughs) sort of not talk to us for a couple of years. (laughs) Okay, so so you were and and you you did theater. Theater was interesting to you at school, so you followed that path in high school. Mm, yes, I did. Yep, <clears throat> and then you went into my very first theater role was grade one. I played, oh. I played one of the <laughs> sheep. Yes. In the Christmas show. Ah. Around the manger. Yeah. Did you have a line? Bah. <laughs> and actually, I had several lines. <laughs> <laughs> so you were a chatty sheep. Yeah. <laughs> Got lots of laughs. Oh, that's, that's good. So, so you at post secondary, you did some study uh, with Studio Fifty Eight. Uh, I went to Studio Fifty Eight. Mm-hmm. Yes, in Vancouver. Is there an echo in here? Okay. Is there an echo in here? Okay. <laughs> and and then after that, you you got your first professional job with Axis Theater. Yeah, I was hired out of theater school uh, for Axis Mime Theater, right. and I was there for six years. Wow. So I started my career right out of school that established you as a, a physical comedian because you used your whole body it was it yeah. was a kind of theater mm-hmm. that you had to express yourself through physicalities more than mm-hmm. through script yeah yeah but um i just found that a natural way to perform yeah. and and then in theater school we had mime and uh, movement training as well okay which covered um uh, mask work which was another good thing for learning physicality Right. Because if, you, if you're wearing a neutral mask, you have to show all the emotions or what, what you're going through, mm. through your body. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. it really teaches you to pay attention to your body in w- what it's doing, what it's saying. Mm-hmm. You, you have to be a, in a neutral position because mm-hmm. any, any sort of um, uh, angle or a tilt of the head, if you have a neutral mask on, mm-hmm. that's what the audience looks at. Right. If you move one part of your body when you're in a neutral position, right. that's what they see. And if you're feeling an emotion or whether it's a happy or a sad emotion, right. that comes through. And then you, you take the mask off eventually because if you wear it at home, people look at you weird. <laughs> but nowadays, of you're, course, it'd yeah. be totally acceptable. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah, you get in trouble if you don't wear mm-hmm. a mask. Mm-hmm. But you learn that you, you can... Uh, make your body work in, in to show emotion without wearing the mask because right. you just 
it teaches you to become in tune with your body. Right, right. So, so you did that. Now, Axis Theater was uh, uh, provided original um, shows for schools for for grade one to grade twelve. Uh, at that and, time, they yeah, they did school shows, and, and, and they also did adult shows. Yes, and their most famous one of the most famous ones was uh, the number fourteen, I believe, which toured all over the world. Yes, it did. Which was uh, a, partly a mask show. Yeah, it was masks. Uh, it was a cast of six, mm. uh, if I remember right, and about fifty-eight or sixty characters. Right. So, and that very was very quick, quick change. Oh, that was uh, such a great show. I masks just... and commedia. Yeah, you each um, played about five or six characters, didn't you? Oh, eight or nine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. So then, and then you did your share of of, uh, of stage in Vancouver's stage mm-hmm. work and television and. I remember one year you had like 14 commercials or something. It was it was amazing, one you know. Year, yeah. yeah, but it, it it it's always so fickle, isn't it? It'll be one year is up and one year's way down. I remember you came home with a manicure one day because you were doing a a slushy commercial, 7-Eleven Slurpee commercial, and you had the most perfect hands. I was jealous. Just one hand. Yeah, so, <laughs> really? That was the only one in the shop. <laughs> So they, they would, spent they spent two hours doing the nails on one, one hand. hand. <laughs> and then so after that, then though Cirque du Soleil came to call, they saw your one man show, mm-hmm. and and they contacted you. And this is fairly early on in in Cirque's uh, mm, history. Yeah, I think they were about three or four years old at that time. Right. Early yeah. early nineties. Right. So you stepped into the into nineteen nineties. I, <laughs> I wasn't in my early nineties. No, not no. yet. So you stepped into a role there, and what was that like going from like performing in small venues, re- relatively like a, a stage uh, or a, uh, a local stage that would have maybe 400 seats, if mm-hmm. it, you know, to uh, an arena that was 2,600 seats? What was that like? Oh, um, um, at first it was um, it was intimidating. Yeah, yeah. Um, once you learn how to be in that space. Yeah. It it actually becomes quite uh, enjoyable. So you really get to learn how to use the work the audience sort of. Yeah, well when you're doing circus it it's not like a theater show where you have the proscenium and the fourth wall. Right. Um in a circus you you're in contact with the audience all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And not not just the clowns, even the acrobats and, and the other characters. Mm-hmm. Um it's that contact that there's no fourth wall and when you contact them, they become part of the show and they're right. complicit in everything that's going on. Right, because there are still sketches within the show that the clowns do, mm-hmm. and but but you have leeway to deviate from that a bit when you're using like audience participation and things like that. Is that right? Is that? Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yes, you can. If if you're the only character in the piece in particular, they. At Cirque, clown acts are always constructed around. There's a structure, but it's it's a loose, loosely based structure, so that we like we're getting from point A to B. But how you get there, that really doesn't matter. And so when you're using an audience volunteered, obviously you're not going to know how it's going to go from A to B. Mm-hmm. But we have tricks that um, get them to go where we want them to. Okay. So there's a lot of improv involved as well. Mm-hmm. So you, it really is helpful. To be a good improviser, when, oh, definitely. When you're working, when you're working live like that, because especially if you're working with volunteers, I imagine sometimes things can go not as planned. Oh yeah, De- uh, well every show basically, if you have a volunteer 
yeah. an act built for a volunteer from the audience. Yeah. Every show, even if they cooperate with you yeah. and, and do what you want them to do, yes. they will all do it differently. Yes. And, and if they're uncomfortable, then it's going to go to the shambles. So, yeah. so it, there's an art to working with volunteers, and you have to make them feel comfortable. And so we're always chatting at them on yeah. stage, yeah. telling them, you're doing a great job. Are yeah. you okay? Everything fine? Listen to that. Yeah. They're laughing. They love you. Uh, the audience can't hear us say that. And what's amazing to me is that you've worked in countries all over the world. A lot of the time, English is not their first language. No. So you've worked like in places like China and Brazil. And how do you communicate mm-hmm. with volunteers <laughs> that don't speak your language? You learn one or two words, ah, okay. basically. And uh, you, you really edit what information you need to get across. Right. And if you get it down to one or two words, that's all you do. I mean, there's t- <laughs> when we're in another country, when I pick a volunteer from the audience, you know, I put their arms up in the air, get the audience, and the audience goes crazy. Right. They're in support of this victim. Yes. We call them victims. Right, yeah. <laughs> volunteer. they're cheering their, for the volunteer because yeah. it's better him than them. <laughs> yeah. And so as they're coming up onto the stage with me, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm leading them. And there's an art to that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have a firm grip. <laughs> <clears throat> no sitting down. No mm-hmm. sitting down. But you also don't want one where you have to literally pull them out of no. their seat. Yeah. There, you learn how to how to to do it. You you know you grab them by the hand or the arm, and you just give them a little tiny tiny hint of a pull. Right. And nine times out of ten, they will just follow you. Okay. And and so you're not forcing them onto the stage, which right. already makes them feel more comfortable. It, it's like their choice. Yeah. And first thing in another country is I ask them, do you speak English? Yeah. And <laughs> 99% of the time they say no or um, or they won't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't have understood the question. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Well, it's their country after all. Well, like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I just have to know how to communicate right. with them. Right, right. But if, if we're in Spain or China and they yeah. do speak English, yes. then I know this is going to be a lot easier yes. than I thought. Right. But sometimes it makes you laugh in the moment, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, you get them up and <clears throat> say, do you speak English? Mm-hmm. And they'll say in perfect English, oh, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> okay. And then you get them up and you're explaining what to do. Well, in, in this particular routine, the other two clowns are doing some shtick to entertain the audience. And while they're doing that and setting up the uh, what's going to happen. Yeah. I am talking to the volunteer because there's okay. a couple of things that they need to know. Right. Like when we uh, ask them to come over here, they have to come over there. Follow or, us. Know, right. follow. It's just very simple. And after they say, uh, this happened a lot, you know, do you speak English? Oh, mm-hmm. yes, I do. And then you get up there and I'm explaining to them three or four sentences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I go, okay. And, <laughs> and they look at me like a chicken watching a card trick. <laughs> or they go, What? <laughs> no English. <laughs> oh dear! And so, can you just explain? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I've watched that countless times, and it's the, the, one of the reasons I think that you use volunteers is because it always adds an element of surprise and danger for oh. for the clowns on stage. You're mm-hmm. never exactly sure how things are going to go. Not at all. And I, I I love because I've seen like your show quite a few times. I love watching the audience volunteers because things can go sideways or things can go really great or are you just mm-hmm. not ever really sure oh, yeah we've had people they they just leave 
<laughs> just in the middle of the whole bit. They just say, I've had enough of or this. You've also had volunteers that you'll send. We, we're talking about volunteers quite a bit, but mm-hmm. you, you've you've had volunteers that you'll send back to their seats because they're yeah. overacting, right? Yeah, if, if they're not helping the scene progress at all, in mm-hmm. fact, dragging it down, mm-hmm. which if, if they don't cooperate with us, mm-hmm. um, it'll ruin the scene. Right. And, and the audience will turn on them, right. and they'll stop laughing. And so we have to get rid of them. Yeah. And when you do, and if it's obvious that they're screwing up the scene, yeah. either intentionally or they're just, they just shouldn't be in the just public. Just wanted the limelight. Um, mm-hmm. Either way, when we sit them down and pick another person, mm-hmm. uh, the audience goes back right on our side. Yeah, yeah. And, and they, yeah. they will humiliate the person who was just fired. Yeah, so, okay, so Kuza in particular was, a, it was uh, one of the Cirque shows that you had a lot to do with developing the character that you play and the, and also the uh, material that's done for the clowns, right? So you actually worked on... So how did you go about finding your character and then finding the sketches that would work? Because it must be quite a process. Yeah, the character... Well, the basic character was given to us. Um, in Kuza, it's the king mm-hmm. and there's two foot... And the king is the... There are three fools. But the king, who's in charge, he's the biggest fool of them all mm-hmm. that was my starting point okay and so it's just there's no no boundaries right it's just be as stupid and foolish as you want for whatever the situation that we try and create right and i also found a quote i can't remember who wrote it um about a month into into the creation period and it said yeah i can't tell you it's a secret <laughs> uh, no, it was look for the ridiculous in everything, and uh. you will find it. Ah, and I, I wrote that in my um, my like notebook. That. Look for the ridiculous in everything, and yeah. you will find it. Yeah, and so everything we created, I was always looking for the ridiculous right. in it. Yeah, and it was great to have in my pocket. It's a way to find the funny. Exactly. Huh. And so you can have the the most mundane thing, but look for the ridiculous. Yeah. And kind of how I created my own stuff anyway before the show. Right. But I hadn't put it in that context yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But all through the creation, and then even when you're running the show, mm-hmm. um, that's something that you're always seeking out is the ridiculous mm-hmm. in the situation. So when you're writing writing for yourself even, I know you're not somebody who will sit down and, and type a sketch on a computer. You're, much, you're, you're a physical performer, so you, you need to to move around and to, to test things out. How do you approach a, a new idea, like a, a spark of an idea? Um, for me personally, yeah, I, I can't sit and write out a whole script. Once in a while, I can if, if the idea gels right away. But generally, I, I just have notebook and I just write down stuff that I see. In I just observe life and there's there's a lot, you know, there's ridiculous in everything. Yes. <laughs> basically. Yes. And if I, I just yeah. have this note. Um, but I will start just with that idea and then and I usually put opposites together mm-hmm. some routines uh like one was a, a musician a guest a guest soloist and the show was in the Orpheum Theater uh-huh. typically I said yeah I can do that and I had no idea when I signed on to the gig <laughs> <laughs> but I had a lot of improv experience so I, I had confidence I just had to have an idea mm-hmm so I got an idea about two days before the gig, and it was because it was in the Orpheum, and um, I just dressed as a very pompous um, musician. Right. And I had a violin case and uh, came on stage with that and a microphone stand and music stand. But in the microphone case, it turns out, 
I did the whole routine of setting it all up. Right. And then the uh, violin case gets opened up, and there's not a violin in there. It, it was a rubber chicken. <laughs> and I don't know where that idea came from. Right. But it, it was a, a gold mine when that appeared. Yeah. And then I, you know, I, oh, when I first went on stage, I had toilet paper on the heel of my shoe. Right. And that was the beginning of it. And uh, so when I pulled this chicken out of the case, it's got toilet paper hanging <laughs> off its foot. So those basically were the two ideas I started that whole routine with, was having toilet paper on my shoe and then having it on the chicken. Yeah. And that was the start of that. That was the journey. Which turned into about a 10-minute routine. Right. And then then you take it, but you're you're totally serious throughout the whole thing. You are a serious musician that has come to play rubber chicken. Yeah, played it like a violin, and uh, I made the sound of it. So but, you had the bow. Yeah, but when the you audience put the chicken laughs, under yeah, your chin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as as you said, I, I was very serious through it. Mm-hmm. That was part of the humor. The audience would laugh, and I would get offended at that mm-hmm. because I'm trying to do something serious here, yeah. folks. Serious art. And that's and that's and that. I mean, getting back to that too, like stillness and seriousness yeah. can be can be such a powerful handle in comedy. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it right? Because it's it's just something that the longer that, that you can go on, the audience starts to put themselves in those shoes, maybe. Yeah, well, you can have a lot of power in doing nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, those silences and just a take. If, if some big gag happens and the audience is really enjoying it mm-hmm. and laughing a long time, all you have to do is, is look at them. Mm-hmm. But you have to have energy, and you know, even if you're doing nothing, right, <laughs> you have yeah. to have a, a nothing look. You still have to have something behind it. Oh, sure. And that relates to the mask training too, position. Mm-hmm. And that's something actors um, aren't comfortable with is mm-hmm. is doing nothing on stage, mm-hmm. because sometimes when you're doing nothing, a, a minute on stage that's a long time. Mm-hmm. And if you're silent or or uh, stillness. And I don't mean you have to go still like a statue. No, no. Stillness just means you're idle. Yes. You're still alive. You're still breathing. You can still move a bit, you know. You're but you're portraying around, thought. But you're, you're, you're portraying per- thought. Yes. And um, a lot of actors aren't comfortable in doing that uh, because they feel, oh, I, I have to be speaking. Right, <laughs> yeah. They'll just start talking and talking, which, which is hard to train uh, uh, classically trained actors to do comedy bits sometimes Mm -hmm. because they don't want to take those moments and a lot of times those moments are is what the piece needs yes yes but when you convince them and you have them try it and force them to try it yeah then they see the reaction yeah and And then uh, and then it speaks to truth somehow doesn't it always yeah if it's not truth um or sincere your response Mm -hmm. the audience won't believe it Right. And that's when the audience stopped laughing. Ah. Because you're just you're just trying to be funny. Yes. But you have to you have to be funny. <laughs> so that that's the truth in comedy then, a lot of that. Exactly. It has to be truthful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to genuinely look like you're in jeopardy or you're in trouble. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so so going backwards a little bit, we met uh, playing theater sports. Mm-hmm. The first interprovincial tournament between British Columbia and Alberta, where I was going to school, and I I was so lucky to have a minor in theater, and my instructor was the, the Keith Johnson, who created theater sports, 
first interprovincial tournament, knew nothing of travel or the world, thought the guys coming from BC were going to be all like blonde surfers. And then you guys, <laughs> we were. Then you guys show up but... at Art Pollard and you and Robin Mosley and Colin Mockery. Mm-hmm. And and well, Kim Salady, Kim Salady, it could be there was a few people, mm. but anyways, our that's what happens with age and memory. <laughs> but it was what does? you guys were just um, you had no fear, you had no mm. fear of, of no, making a didn't. fool of yourself. You had no, and your ideas would just come out of the ether. Like I just I just so admire really good improvisers. Yeah, that was <clears throat> that was a fun trip, but that's that's why. We did have fun because mm-hmm. we didn't care how it was going to end up, mm-hmm. and we we just stepped out and did whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were impressed with the Calgary group, though. Yeah, for the same reason. Oh yeah, we weren't too shabby. No, you yeah. weren't. Not even slightly shabby. Yeah, no, it was a great. It was great, and theater sports in, in continues. I mean, hopefully, you know, once once audiences can come back, theater sports and improv have become such a mainstay. It's amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. How and especially with like Colin's gone on to have a whole career in improv and and on television, and it's just something that that appeals to every age, and people love the risk factor. That's what a lot of improv is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is, and that's that's yeah. the basis of clowning too when yeah. a clown is taking risks all the time that's when um, they get into jeopardy and that's what the audience likes to see yeah they like to see somebody else in trouble yeah but nobody likes to be in trouble but when they see someone else <laughs> yeah. going through yeah something like that it's uh, and it's then very funny audiences are willing to forgive like when they know people are truly making it up as they go along and then a scene stinks mm-hmm. they're much quicker to forgive than if they'd went to a, a, a scripted theater event yeah. and it was a horrible play. Yeah. Right? And so that, it's interesting that. That folds into, uh, to backtrack a bit, to a volunteer in a clown show. Mm-hmm. Is if the audience senses that the volunteer is taking a risk and they don't know what's going on, right. they do support them. Yeah. But if the volunteer is too confident, or too cocky, yeah. then it looks like uh, they are trying to be funny, right. or they they know what they're doing, and it's just a bad script. Right. <laughs> and the audience will stop responding. Yeah. And that's why we had to occasionally fire the volunteer. Yeah, yeah. Because it looks like an audience plant right. who's, who's a bad actor. Okay. Oh, I just think it like um, the study of comedy and humor is, is endlessly fascinating for me, as much as it's interesting as pathos and drama. And I mean, for me, I've, I've now gone forward in taking improvisational thinking into my own practice with, with my artwork. And sometimes it doesn't work out so well because <laughs> I never plan anything. I, I improvise my ideas. But it's something very freeing in that kind of thinking, isn't it? So one of my very favorite characters that you did, and this is about, what, 30 years ago now, and it's uh, the world's oldest Chippendale dancer. Mm-hmm. Sparky. Sparky. That's right. His name is Sparky. So could you describe how you came up with that character? And, and try to give the visual because mm. it's just like no other. He was handsome. <laughs> yeah. um, that started with the stripper music, which I, I just loved that piece of music. Right. And I heard it one day and I thought, i got to use that sometime in a in a bit later that opportunity came up and i i figured out what to do with it and it was just to have the the world's oldest stripper 
Oh. And so I just created the costume and the look, and I used the walker. Yeah. And I yeah. slowed the music down <laughs> half speed. So it was it was literally playing at like dun, half the speed. Dun, yeah. dun, and, dun, but I did all the routines that, and Sparky was probably in his 80s. You know, <laughs> uh, that's what I envisioned. Yeah. And But he'd been doing it since he was 20. The same routine. Of course. With the same costume. Yeah, yeah. But now he's doing it in a walker and bedroom slippers and he had toilet paper on his shoe yeah, too, actually. Of Signature bit. <laughs> yeah. And the costume was stretched and, you know, had holes in it. and. Well, you had like a, 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 a singlet, a white singlet on. Uh, yeah, with it, um, uh, tassels. But, tassels, it was yeah, from our, he, our kids' bicycles. I think you had yeah, the yeah. streamers. Sparky probably <laughs> stole them on his way to the to the gig because his his tassels, I think, probably got yeah. stolen in a, in a nightclub somewhere along the line. In the 40s. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it uh, tear away uh, shorts, yeah. which revealed a really old pair of, uh, so well, a Speedo. Right. With fringe, fringe, fringe yeah. Yeah. barely hanging on. So yeah. it was hanging off and yeah. dirty and, and uh, ended up with the end of the music doing the splits. And yeah. Yeah. one or both hips popped out. <laughs> <laughs> but then when you first come out also, you're wearing that horrible robe. Oh, you, the robe, yeah. That robe you found in yeah. a Goodwill store. Oh, my God, someone had died in that. Mm, oh. Yeah, I think so. Oh. It was worth the money. <laughs> but it was so worn out, wasn't it? Yeah, the backside of it had a, in the butt section it was just totally worn out it was just a, a, it sort of looked like a full moon in the center it was it was a burgundy robe yeah but the one spot that was all worn out it yeah. was you could see right through it it was like so there was a lot of sitting going on with whoever owned that <laughs> and that was part of the delight oh, for the audience God, too yeah so anyway yeah it was just again doing opposites right you know i had the one piece of music that I really liked. Mm -hmm. And if you're working with props or music or costumes, mm -hmm. if it's something that you really have a passionate feeling about, that that's the basis for creating a good piece. Yeah, yeah. so you put that all together. He comes yeah. out, it's really slow. He, he's just annoyed the whole time. And he does his stripper routine with all the grinding, although it's like half. <laughs> yeah. It's really... Oh, the entrance was to the... Um, uh, 2001 Odyssey Space theme. Space Odyssey, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, so the stage lights would come up, colored follow spots going yeah. all over the place. And about 10 seconds after somebody should have appeared on yeah. stage, yeah. Barky kind of hobbles on with his walker. <laughs> I remember seeing people falling yeah. out of their chairs laughing so hard at that yeah. just because it was so ridiculous. Yeah, and yeah. this again is a good example of stillnesses. Yeah. Because I would yeah, stop yeah. once or right. twice. Yeah. To, on my way to center stage, right. which pretty much wore Sparky out. Right. <laughs> um, but he would stop and look at the audience with an, you know, insulted because mm -hmm. they're laughing. Yeah. He's and, but I would just stop and stare at them. Right. But and, I would stay still. And, and the laughs would grow. The laughs would grow. Yeah. And so yeah. people out there, if you're creating material, don't be afraid of stillness. Yeah. Yeah, don't be afraid of stillness. No. Yeah. So, do you see yourself ever retiring from this life? Not in the near future, no. No, good. <laughs> <laughs> we need you to keep working. 
And I will gladly do <laughs> but, that. Yeah, but that's what I mean is though, when you make a living in the arts and, and it's up and down and you, you're you always pivoting, you're always making it work somehow. Sort of partly what the, this podcast is about, I wanted to talk to all these interesting people I know that have managed to make their way in the arts. But how can you stop doing what you love, right? Yeah, it, it's I just, can. you just keep reinventing it yeah i could never you know my whole life when i was five or six i decided that would be a good job would be an entertainer yeah and my whole life i could never see myself doing anything else yeah and i still can't yeah so you're not going to ever get a real job i doubt it (laughs) that's good well i want to thank you so much for being my very first guest my pleasure and um i'm uh Happy to say you're my sweetheart for almost 40 years. And you're my sweetheart. (laughs) And now our kids are going to be really embarrassed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, it's time to finish the bottle of wine. We have kids. Mm -hmm, We do, apparently. Oh, well, pour the wine. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for being here. That is a wrap. Our first episode, Out Into the Ether. I'd like to thank Gordon White for his wonderful contribution. And his new website is just about to launch. Also, if you want to know more about me, my website is elamborawhiteceramics.com. And I'd also like to express my unending gratitude for my groovy original music by composer Seth Stakowski. He is a crazy talented guy. We're hoping to get him on the show if he can find time while working as musical director for Aerosmith. Check Seth out at musicbyseth.com. Stay tuned for the next podcast. We've got an incredible lineup of all kinds of artists, and you're not going to want to miss one. So, remember, creativity is intelligence. Having fun. Thanks for listening. Hi, honey. I'm home. Why are your suitcases at the front door? Because I'm leaving you. We've been engaged for 35 years, and I'm tired of waiting for a wedding band. Ugh, this again? Don't be so dramatic. You know I want to get married, but I still haven't found you the perfect wedding ring. No more excuses! Two months ago it was bulk buy of potpourri. Last month, hair extensions for the dog. I've had it. I'm out of here. Goodbye! Hello? Juliet? I've come to see my wedding band again. Here it is, honey. And she picked out the perfect one, didn't she? Oh, yes. Ah, I love the hammered rose gold look. It's so masculine, and it fits me perfectly. She's picking it up tomorrow. I know. I better get home now, and I promise to act surprised. Juliet, 925, 100% recycled gold and refined silver jewelry. Custom made for you and your sweetheart. That's Juliet925.ca. I love it, I love it, I love it! What a surprise! If you'd like your very own old-fashioned radio ad made for your business, get a hold of us. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye!